Welcome to Origin Gates daily podcast called Wisdom's Echo. I'm Denise Hughes. And I'm Ray Hughes. And we're going to talk today about prayer. And But I'm going to continue some things that I've been talking about, uh, especially with the last po- podcast, uh, the Altar of Incense. And I started recognizing after I got into this and how, what it led me, how it led me into this altar of incense and all the things about it, that this whole, for a good long time now, the Lord has been directing me and leading me into this uh, path of the, about prayer and the depths of prayer and what it means. Because I know that this altar, see the altar of incense as I've said before, was the prayers of the saints, the smoke, this fragrance that would rise up. He said that that smoke, that fragrance, that smell was the prayers of the saints. And so as we got into each one of these, um, the, the first one was Annika, and that had to do with the fierce lion, the roar, right? And, uh, I had been having, um, some study and be going into the roar. But after I, I had a dream a few months ago and the Lord telling me that to roar, you know, with my voice, with my, with my voice, it was a roar. So I started looking up everything that had to do with the roar and it, and then it, it turned into the color blue meant a fierce lion, the roar. Then it turned into this spice on the altar of incense, which was, the first one was uh, Annika, which was the roar, a roar, a fierce lion again. And then we went into the next one, which was Stacta, which had to do with um, our words dropping like rain or like water, pouring forth, pouring out our words. And so that's the second spice, this Stacta or Nataf in Hebrew which was on the altar of incense. And this altar wasn't for the atonement of sin. That was the other altar out in front in this, in the tabernacle of Moses. And this, but this altar was for the worshiper. This altar was for our prayers and for us to come in and commune with the Lord after our sins have been atoned for out front. The next one was called Galbanum, G-A-L-B-A-N-U-M. <laughs> That's Galbanum, Galbanum. But the Hebrew word is Kelbena, and I'm going to spell that C-H-E-L-B-E-N-A-H, Kelbena, Kelbena. So now listening to... And then, well, the root, it's just a kind of resin or a gum, a strong smelling resin, right? That came from a bush uh, and a tree. But the heat of the uh, root word for it means fatness, richness, abundance, and marrow, like the marrow of our bones. And here is what uh, marrow means, bone marrow is a spongy substance found in the center of the bones. It manufactures bone marrow stem cells and other substances, which in turn produce blood cells. So the marrow of our bones is what produces our blood. 
Okay. Marrow is defined as an innermost choice part, especially the fatty tissue inside of bones. And that's the some of the meanings for this spice is marrow, fatness, richness, abundance. And um, that is one of the spices on this altar of incense. Now, listen at this. Now, we, we Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. The discerner, it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So we've got the joints and the marrow that has to be divided here and split up. So we've, uh, because he wants this choice fatty part, right? Psalm 63, five says, my soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. So we've got praise and our soul being satisfied with this marrow and this fatness with joy, with our lips bringing forth joy. So we've got this abundance and this joy and this praise all combined into this word. Isaiah 25, six says, and in this mountain, the Lord will make for all people a feast of fat things full of marrow. So this is one of the things that the Lord is going to provide for us is this richness, this fatness. And it also says that bone marrow has a rich, faintly sweet taste with a smooth texture. So this is something that they would eat. This was a sacrifice. It was... Um, his his soul was satisfied with this marrow and this fatness but the lord from his mountain is going to provide for all the people a feast of this a feast so that we can taste of the fat things full of marrow all right and i i started noticing that all of the senses are involved here you know we're going it's the seeing was the color blue and the hearing was the roar and the percussive per- percussive sound that created this um aromatic spice it it was called the roar and then smelling and discernment uh had the smoke the spices the fragrance and the tasting of the sweet marrow it, it's all combined all of our senses can be com- uh, involved in this prayer on the altar of incense that would rise and cover the ark of the covenant and the mercy seat it would just invade and permeate the whole the holy of holies this whole thing it just uh this is what god was smelling so um I have been I felt like this was like from the beginning to now the Lord is saying this is a a journey of of going into a deeper place of sensing and seeing and smelling and tasting and offering up this as a sacrifice that the fruit of my lips would be forever before the Lord the fruit of my lips are these is are these prayers that are sweet and smelling and and rich to the taste and satisfying to the soul and this is what we're offering up as a sacrifice to the lord so i was talking to uh ray and talking about this prayer and he was so reminded 
of uh, a story that he had uh, heard about prayer, and I'm gonna he's gonna tell you about that right now. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, I, I love the what what is considered to be the revival era in the U.S. Uh, if there is a revivalist, there, and there were many, and you got to remember that many of them were incredibly effective and successful in America during times of no national revival. There was not a national revival going on in the, day, in the days of Sam Jones and D.L. Moody and even Charles uh, Spurgeon over in England. And, uh, and, uh, and with, um, with Charles Finney, example, there was no national revival going on. These guys were just successful evangelists carrying truth with a power that we many times don't seem to understand today. See, they, they were ones that were responsible in their day for awakening people that would marry beauty and truth and then awaken wonder in the minds and hearts of humanity. And it must have been a wondrous thing, almost dumbfounding kind of a thing. And like in the days with Charles Finney, he began his, a, a, basically his official ministry about around 1824. So that gives you a kind of a time period. Called in the ministry in 1821. And uh, then ultimately, you know, ceased to be a lawyer then and went into the ministry and was trained to be a Presbyterian minister. But he was a Presbyterian minister. So what you got what you to see there is this in early to mid-1800s was he was carrying the waves, uh, the second wave of that Second Great Awakening. And uh, he was such an avid thinker and a, and. Uh, administrative mind. He said he was very clinical in his thinking, but very spontaneous in his speaking. And I believe a part of that spontaneity was born out of the fact that he and a he had a secret weapon. And that secret weapon was around prayer and uh, the way he did it. And he had such an anointing that he would impact a city like Rochester, New York, and when he would walk down the streets, he'd walk into a factory and close factories down, but not because of the greatness of his personality and star a celebrity, but everybody had anticipated, would just begin to immediately anticipate God doing something that it was so wondrous that they didn't have words for it. They, would, uh, they, they said that when he would walk into a factory, such strong conviction would come onto the place till he started seeing the supernatural ingredient welcomed into his life and into his ministry. I mean, wh what could possibly shift an atmosphere that much? Was it the persona or the, of a powerful, charismatic preacher? No, his secret weapon was already at work. And one of his greatest secret weapons was not only his ability to preach the gospel in such power, but it was prayer that had been, I, 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 like to, I like to see this picture of a, of a Brother Nash. And Brother Nash was his, what we would call today his chief intercessor. And they would, uh, yeah, they would actually cut a hole in the stage uh, on the platform. And they said Brother Nash would lay up under that, right above his head, right above his face. Charles Finney would be preaching the word while he's down there, I'd say, praying the incense up out of the cracks in the boards. And uh, so the atmosphere that his, his truth was carrying was immersed and saturated in prayer. You know, uh, when, I say, when I think of saturating an atmosphere in prayer, 
And prayer is born out of intent of the heart. In the beginning, God framed the world with his words. And so what do we really have the ability to frame when, we, when our words come into agreement? Can we frame whole new atmospheres? Can we, can we frame cities responding to a truth that many of them were raised with that meant nothing, but now all of a sudden they do? Is that a part of the purpose of prayer? Uh, you know, another one of those wonderful old guys back then that carried an understanding of prayer. Listen to this. Prayers that do not produce miracles are empty words. That is E.W. Kenyon. E.W. Kenyon basically had a pretty different idea about framing atmospheres with prayer. Framing atmospheres with words and truth and God's intent. And I think that's the key to what these guys were carrying. They, they somehow had the beauty of language to, uh, to make that become real and, and real revelatory in the moment. In other words, you experience the truth when you would hear it. And it would awaken something deep within you. Charles Spurgeon said, He who counts the stars and calls them by their names is in no danger of forgetting his own children. I just love the way they were, they were all so real with their language, but they were all so real in their, in their prayer lives that they didn't, like today we have an understanding as we, we, we many people believe in you could, uh, that work of the Holy Spirit, baptizing the Holy Spirit, and now you have a prayer language. But I wonder how many of these guys didn't have that concept in their head. It wasn't about a prayer language, it was about a language of prayer. Their language was immersed in the beauty of Scripture, full of the Word of God, full of truth, and they knew how to set those things in flight. Mm -hmm. They created their own altar of incense, didn't they? they we that, create our own altars of incense, our own altars of prayers that go up. And sometimes you just need help and agreement, and mm -hmm. that's what Charles Finney And Finney wound up being the guy who wrote the book on revival. Mm -hmm. Those lectures on revival to this day, studied in colleges and universities all over the world, I hope. But God doesn't expect the impossible from us. He wants us to expect the impossible from Him. So, uh, so they had to have a consistent intent that was born out of the language. And it's just a, a beautiful time in history where re revival began to be defined in America in ways that it never, ever had before. If all your prayers were answered... Would the world be a better place or would you just be more, more comfortable with a bigger bank account or a new house or a new car? What are we praying for? What are we filling the atmosphere with? What are we framing our world with? I, I just pray that the grace of God would help us be ones, be ones that say, you know, prayers that do not produce miracles are empty words and I refuse to live a life of empty words. I'm going to carry a language of prayer. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. We will talk to you soon. Shalom.